enterprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the focal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. In today's show, Randy Orm is back. She was in episode 35, episode 112, and she's back for this one as well. I love talking to Randy. She is just a spigot of positivity, enthusiasm, and just unbelievable athletic accomplishment, all while doing all the same stuff at home that we all do. And she balances all of it, and yet she achieves so very much. I was excited to talk to her today because she ran a 100-mile race. And she did incredibly well. She broke the 24-hour mark. She finished on the podium. She finished in third. And she did it all um, after postpartum, basically after after having her fifth child uh, at this point. So her first four, as you'll hear, are a little bit older uh, than her newborn, Nash. Not newborn now, a year old. But um, yeah, so I was excited to hear exactly what's been going on in her life because she lives a wild and crazy life. She really is so much fun to follow on Instagram. We got uh, her link for her Instagram is over in the show notes as well. And we dive into not only like, hey, what's been going on in your wild and crazy life, but tons of tips. This one is chock full of tips for runners of all shapes, sizes, gender, sex. Even if you have never never been pregnant or you're like me, you're never going to be pregnant. There are so many tips here uh, that are relevant for so many of us. So let's dive into it. With Randy Orm. Randy Orm, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to chat again. Yes, good morning, Matt. Looking forward to talking with you. I know the rare early morning podcast recording, you know, you're you're two hours behind me. So you're you're like, forget breakfast. I need to go record the Rambling Runner podcast. So I appreciate it. Yeah, happy happy to do it. Sometimes with our big crazy family, early mornings while some of the kids are still sleeping is the best time to get things done. There you go. No, I love it. And I can't wait to talk to you. You've been on this show before, so we don't have to dive. This is one of those rare occurrences where when you have a repeat guest, we kind of can kind of we basically skip a lot of the hey, what brought you to running type questions, which I think is really nice and fun, but we've already done those. So if someone wants to go back and listen to those by all means, I think that was a really fun episode and a lot of people enjoyed it. Um, but we don't have to go there because we can kind of skip right to what's been happening with you recently because it seems like a lot. <laughs> so, first of all, congratulations. You recently ran a 100-mile race. That wasn't completely surprising for people who know you, your love of athletics, your love of like being outside, trail running, all that stuff. So what ended up getting you to the point of deciding to finally do what I mean, finally, like, hey, what do you what, what have you been waiting for? But what ultimately what led you down the path to doing a hundred mile race uh, at this point? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And you can absolutely use the word finally, because that's definitely how it felt to me. Um, I feel like in my brain, I've been a hundred mile athlete for like six years, <laughs> even though I just barely did my first one. Um, because it's been on my radar for a very long time. In fact, I want to say it's been on my radar since I started, since I ran my first marathon when I was 21 years old. That's, um, when I was kind of introduced to ultra running, even though I've always been trail running. Um, but for one reason or another, life just has, um, wanted me to wait to do a hundred miles. So I, I, I registered for my first hundred miler six years ago. 
and um, life has just happened. Some good things, some not so good things, but it just wasn't in, it was, it has not been in the cards for me. I, um, my first one I was registered for, my mom passed away and I was just, there was too much trauma and too much grief for me to, to run much at all for a while. So I, you know, I knew at that point, you know, just let that go. No big deal. And then just different things like that. Another time, I think there was a move. Another time, maybe there was like a family wedding um, where the dates just, I, you know, you sign up ahead of time for these races and then the dates just never ended up working out. And then last year, um, we got our sweet baby Nash, <laughs> you know, I have my one-year-old and that's when I was registered to do Leadville with my husband. And so then when I was pregnant with Graham, I said, honey, if I recover well and I'm feeling good, cause I was really, um, looking forward to that hundred miler, um, the summer of 2019, I said, I think that after pregnancy, I want that to be my kind of first, once I feel good and I'm ready to have like a real training block, I would love for a hundred miler to be my first big race. I know that's crazy. And, you know, he's so supportive. He's like, yeah, you know, go for it if that's what you want. And we found one locally that um, was the local races. They don't always happen, but when they do, it's really nice because traveling arrangements are easier, especially with the big family and how much stuff we have going on with all of our children's activities. And so it's, uh, Antelope Island is about 20 minutes from my house, give or take. So I just went for it. And um, it was really nice for me um, going through this first year postpartum, even though at the beginning, I, of course, wasn't putting in the, that, the workload to run 100 miles. In my mind, I had that end goal, that if things went well, and that I healed and recovered properly, and that I could put get in some real training um, under my belt, um, that I could do it. So, yeah. You mentioned the big family. How big is the family for people who don't know all things Randy and Graham Orm? Uh, yeah. So we have five kiddos. Um, my oldest is, he is 14. So I've got basically our first four are all about two years apart, 14 and 12, and then almost 10 and almost eight. Um, and then we've got our sweet little caboose, Nash, who just turned one. And that's our big, crazy, awesome family dynamic. I love it. Wow. So that's, that's a lot of stuff that you have to do uh, and Graham as well, coordinating and arranging all of that. And it can be a very, very busy life. That's for sure. However, preparing for an ultra marathon can also be a very busy thing to do. To say nothing of you're a coach, you work, you do a lot of stuff in addition to family and running. So it's not even those two things together can be really tough to manage, um, but throw in other things as well that can really be, I can really get it going. Um, actually, you know what? I want to do a quick little spin back to when we were talking about hundreds that you weren't able to do. Was it hard to miss your hundred for the family wedding? Was that, was that one of those where you're like, well, you know, the other ones were like immovable, immovable things. Of course, you're going to cancel the race. The family wedding though, was there a little <laughs> bit of back and forth in your head of like, am I really going to miss this? Well, I think honestly, I was, it was one of those ones where I wasn't probably putting in enough into that training block. So it was almost a relief. And so it was like, you know, I wasn't ready anyways. And I think like I probably pulled the trigger in the wrong season. So if I was like in top fitness, you know, that would have probably been bad. But in my brain, I'm like, well, it's probably a blessing in disguise because I shouldn't be going to the start line anyways. <laughs> so. Uh that's fair. That's fair. I love, yeah, that, so, so it kind of gets you, it kind of like lets you off the hook there. 
Yes. And sometimes those are needed, right? Like, and you can have, you have to step back and look at your training and, and look at the big picture. And you're like, well, yeah, that probably needed to happen anyway. So we're going to be okay with it. Now you have always loved doing wild and exciting things. And our first podcast was a high, it was a testament to that idea. Um, when you were thinking about hundreds now, you had signed up for level before you just mentioned having a local race was uh, something that you really um, were a fan of. Were there other factors that influenced your decision? Cause I can imagine you like looking at the full panoply of options and like being like, Oh my God, I want to do all of these. For sure. And I am still that way. I look at all these races. Oftentimes that's why I won't repeat courses because again, there's just so many glorious options out there and I want to, slowly tick them off my bucket list and see the world through running. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely with it being a local race, a few um, key factors that influenced that decision was that one was the time of year. Um, so it's a late March race. And with my kiddos sports, um, you know, I've got multiple kids who do competition sports. Um, and I knew um, kind of from before Christmas, when that training block started, that winter training block, competition soccer you're not really doing tournaments competition dance we don't have any um competition so there's kind of like the kids do do activities but there's a little bit of a lull so I can um you know get up really early on a Saturday morning and actually get in a, a long run and not have to break it up to go to activities and and you know I hope that comes across the right way I'm I, my family comes first and my training, I get the leftovers and I make it work. And I'm not bitter about that. That's just, that's what I get at the stage of life that I'm in. But if I can um, objectively just look back and see, Hey, this is just, I could get more quality training. And if I wait and sign up for a race at a certain time of year. So that definitely, um, definitely factored in the time of year. And also I, because it was my first hundred miler, um, the idea was very appealing to be able to really do race specificity in that like final block of training that I could get out there on the course and feel the course underneath my feet and mentally know what I was um, going to be doing. Um, that had a lot of appeal. I'm okay when that does not happen and you can create those training specificities, um, you know, wherever you live, you, you can, you can find a way to get close to, you know, mimicking things, but because that was an option and it was the right time of year, it kind of was like, well, this is a great opportunity. So I'm going to jump on it. And in your training, let's just go like from, you know, Nash is born. This is, you know, as you mentioned, this is your, this was not your first time giving birth. So you have some sort of um, frame of reference for what that's like. In addition though, it had been what, seven or eight years. So uh, it wasn't like it happened, you know, the, 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 you know, the normal two, two year cycle that you'd had before. So when you were coming back um, from having Nash and trying to, you know, go through the normal cycle of uh, preparing your body and making sure that it's ready and, and all the things that you've experienced in the past and that you've counseled your runners on the past, what was it like for you this time, knowing that, you know, each time can be, can be quite different? Yeah, and that's a really good question. And, and the way that you framed it each time can be quite different is completely true. So yes, I take all, all of my knowledge and all of my experience and I bring that to the table as we move forward after Nash was born. But I do think it's very, very important that uh, we recognize as mothers when we give birth postpartum, every experience likely is going to be very different. So you can't just, I, I don't believe you can just approach it. Well, it worked really well for me after 
Hudson was born for me to start running at this week's and, and for me to race at this time. And so I actually, when Nash was born, I had zero races on the calendar. And even though I saw races in the distance that looked like a good, had potential, I didn't know what was going on. So personally, I didn't want to put anything on my calendar because to me that, that would maybe force me to train how I shouldn't train uh, or maybe, you know, cause put myself in a position where I would prioritize getting to race day over like health or preventing injuries. So, so I, um, tip, so with Nash, I, I was really fortunate, but I was very, very careful at the beginning. And I believe that's why I haven't been so lucky to have this, uh, a great training cycle and to be injury free since he, he was born. So, you know, six, for me, that looked like six weeks of really just chilling out and allowing my body to recover, nourishing my body, sleeping as much as possible. Um, maybe some, um, walks, slow, slow walks with the stroller from about four weeks on. And then very slowly from about the six week on point, I kind of postpartum, I, I treat myself and many of the, the athletes that I've worked with. Um, it's kind of the same as if you've taken a really long rest or you're coming back from an injury. I start with run walk intervals. I go with very, very low heart rate training. It doesn't matter if I want to just get out there and get after it. It was last year during quarantine, and I had signed up to do, like, your 10K and all of those, and I wanted to go fast, and I'm like, nope, I'm in run-walk interval mode, so that's what my 10K gets to be. It gets to be run-walk intervals, and then um, focusing on all of the little things at the beginning, um, all of the – for women, and, you know, this can be beneficial for men, too. Um, there's, you don't just need to do pelvic floor work postpartum. It helps um, – you know, it's part of our core, which stabilizes us and supports us as a runner, so I – I was more diligent with my pelvic floor work post-NASH because I'm, you know, almost four, I'm 37 and I was a lot younger with my other kids. Um, so I was very careful doing all of the like post um, recovery, like rehabilitation. And I did, it was very consistent with my pelvic floor work and um, all of that. And honestly, I feel like baby number five at almost 40, I recovered better and faster than all my other kids. And I, I think that was mostly due to me following through and doing the little things, um, very, um, without fail. I'm not like, Oh, it's fine. I'll be okay. I'll do it once a week. I'm like, Nope, every other day, do your work. Cause I really just wanted, I wanted to be able to race again, even if it was a year away, I didn't want it to be two years away because I went out too quick. So it's really painful at the beginning because you feel like you can do so much more, but if you take the time at the beginning and you do it right, it pays off big time. I can see certain people getting stuck in a trap where, again, this isn't necessarily postpartum. You made the, the comparison to, to coming back from injury. Obviously, it's not the same, but you can draw similar parallels and, and potentially learn similar lessons uh, in certain cases of being like, all right, like right, I'm used to doing these big things. These little things, that's, you know, whatever, right? I'm used to, I'm used to 80 mile weeks. Like, don't talk to me about like your five minute core routine, right? That's like that. That's for other people. Right. Um, and yet these little things, it's, it's so funny because it's for so many people, it can really set the stage for the, the greater efforts. Um, what in the past was a hurdle for you, either mentally, phys mentally or physically that stopped you from kind of embracing those little things, maybe as much as you did this time? Yeah. Um, I would probably say prioritizing time management. Um, because again, being, I'm just busy. Like we all are. If you're not, you, if you're not a parent or you're not doing all these little side things, you're just as busy as I am. We all fill most of us, we all fill our time with things, but 
me just always filling my time with all the things. I, I, I think I was trying to think of the right word. That's a good question that I haven't been asked. I don't want to use the word lazy, but I want to use the word like, I'll be fine. Do I really need to do that? As opposed to recognizing my, um, my need to do it and do it right and do it well. And so maybe, maybe part of the answer would be more experience and understanding more how important that was. Um, I also think that as I've gotten older, I, I used to be able to get away with it, or I thought I was getting away with it. Maybe I wasn't, but I thought I could get away with it as a young athlete in her 20s who could just um, do a, a, I thought I could do a lot fast, but I've learned over the years that being patient, um, it pays off. So I would say maybe just experience and then taking a little, I would say experience, patience, and then taking more time to to better manage my time. And maybe as my family's grown, I have had to do that because you can do anything, you can't do everything. So it's, if I'm going to try to continue to do these extra goals on the side, I have had to learn to prioritize and plan out my time better. And that means planning for the little things that are going to make a big difference. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense, especially when you talk about like all right, what I can get away with versus you know, putting yourself in a position where if you're forced into it or you have the, the wisdom to, to know this ahead of time of knowing like, hey, like maybe I can get away with it. But like, why? Why would I want to put myself in that position? Right. And I think a lot of people can make similar parallels to like nutrition. Right. Like, hey, I can get away with eating X, Y, Z. Um, why do I need to change that? And it's like it's not necessarily counterfactual to say like, no, you're right. You can but you don't need to, right? And I think that one of those things where, like, um, to make an athletic comparison, is that you look at someone like LeBron James, who obviously is one of the most gifted athletes we've ever seen. But also, if you look at, like, his, like, his, what he does off the court, he also does more little things than, like, everybody else, too. And you're like, oh, wow. Like, this guy, like, he does all the band work. He does all this. He says he spends, like, millions of dollars on his body every year, you know, working with professionals, doing every single little thing. And you're like, well, that's probably why he's in year 18, like, is still, like, one of the top three players in the league. And it's interesting. You look at these, you know, someone like him again. This isn't a basketball podcast. But, um, <laughs> good comparison. But, but saying, like, yes, you can get away with it. But does that mean that you, it would help you less? If you did do those things, you know what I mean? And I think that that can be such an easy thing for people to to either to skip or um, just to, I guess, rationalize it away because it, it can be work. So it's like, hey, if I can get out of not doing this, like, why wouldn't I try? Why wouldn't I try not to do it? Yeah. And I, and I think your point on it's really easy to rationalize it away and um, all those. And then it's also it's a gamble because here's the thing when you, you're rolling the dice, when you choose. To not like you mentioned a couple of the little things that I feel they're not little, but they feel little when you when you've got running, it takes an hour, it takes an extra five minutes to make the right or 10 minutes to make the right food and do the band work and do the pelvic floor work, all those little things. And like you said, you could possibly get away with not doing them. But the trade off, if you don't do them, and you can't get away with it is really big, then you don't get to do your very favorite thing, which is the running. So for me, I love it so much. It's so special to me. And I want to be able to do it at a high level. 
But if I am going to be able to perform at the high level that I want to be able to do, I know at this point in my life, I cannot do that if I do not do all of the little things that support the big goal. Right. And that's a great distinction of like, all right, what's the line of demarcation of like, okay, like I can still run and race. So I'm fine. And that's, that could be very true. Whereas like for you, like, Hey, like if I want to run and race, I need to do this. So like, because the line of demarcation is different between like its value in terms of where, where it sets you up for um, improvement. It's so much earlier in the process in terms of like getting out there. It's like, all right, now all of a sudden this is, this is, this went from, you know, nice and can amplify my athletic ability to like mandatory to compete. So it's not like it matters less to you in terms of like, it's um, how it affects your body in terms of like it's percent improvement. It's like the percent improvement is like over a different like line of demarcation versus like, instead of the line of demarcation being from, good to really good is from you move it back in the timeline to like all right it goes from not running to running and like that five percent versus the other five percent can feel bigger but it's really it feels like it's just like it's a sliding scale of where it falls absolutely yep definitely Hey, everybody, do you want to save money on your grocery bill? Well, every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's Best Value Meal Kit for planning dinners today. I love every plate for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I just love having things in my kitchen, especially in my refrigerator, that isn't the same old thing that I do every single week. Also, getting things that aren't too adventurous that my kids are definitely going to eat. Obviously, you're never going to beat that a thousand with that. But with every plate, my kids have really enjoyed it. And I like the food as well. And it's just not the same stuff every single week, which can get tiring. So you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week, swap proteins and sides for things that you like, so you can switch up your dinner routine however you want. And that's the key thing. It's however you want. There's so many options, and it's all great stuff, which is also huge. For me, the difference between this and some of the other uh, services in this genre are, first of all, the price. It's absolutely fantastic. We'll get to it in a second. The kinds of meals that are provided, that they're really good but not too adventurous, have also been a huge thing for me. And now I've been using these more often now that groceries have kind of gone up and the price for every plate has pretty much stayed the same. So try every plate today. It's $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179. That stands for $1.79 per meal. So get started with every plate, like I said, for $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179 today. That's up to $104 value. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I heard other podcasters who were really into performance and athletics, people like Rich Roll and Tim Ferriss, who used it all the time. And I thought, hey, man, if they're going to use it, then I should too. And I'm so glad that I did. So what's in this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, literally all the things. I mean, there's too many things for me to list. I actually have to like take a pause during the sentence, uh, but it's, it's legit and I'm so glad that I use it. I use it basically because I know that 
getting my vitamins and minerals from from foods is probably the best way to do it. But I usually just don't have the kind of diet and make the kind of food choices that's going to put myself in the optimum position. And that's why I take Athletic Greens to make sure that I have everything I need because I know I'm probably not getting it from foods because I just don't quite have the, the discipline or the food choices that I need. And Athletic Greens is there to help me out. And I'm so glad that they are. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. All right. In addition to running, you're also just like super active, right? You're, you're always like doing cool things from like a lifting perspective. You're doing challenges. You're on your, your indoor bike trainer and a variety of other things. So how did that play a part in building up not only in terms of becoming, you know, physically ready to, you know, act to success, successfully run your, your hundred miler, but just like in terms of, you know, getting active and being active and just filling into your schedule where, you know, you got a crazy life, Randy. Like it's hard to just be like, Hey man, here's my two hours. Here's my running schedule. Like everyone else can like, you know, go do whatever they want now. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's definitely not like that. Right. Like nobody really can do their own thing. Um, weightlifting I've always loved and enjoyed. And uh, you know, I got certified to be a personal trainer, I think when I was 20. So it's always been a, a big, important part of my life. And I've always understood the value of that. No matter, regardless of the athlete that you are, strength training should be a part of your life. And I think that it's not a lot of, a lot of athletes, um, especially runners, because they think they don't have time. So uh, my, my strength training it's 20 to 30 minutes twice a week. I mean, it's not much. And you'll find dumbbells up in my kids' playroom. You'll find them in my master bedroom. Your kids are lifting? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, maybe I'm lifting with my kids. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some of my older kids, uh, a few of them do enjoy do enjoy doing mom's hit workouts and whatnot. But um, it's always been a part of my life, and it's never left. And strength training is something that you I could do nine months pregnant where I was – when I'm really pregnant, past about 20 weeks, I'm running a little bit, but I'm running maybe a total of 10 miles a week. I mean, I'm not doing much. Like, it's never been something I've been able to do in high volume during pregnancy. So weightlifting, actually, interestingly enough that you bring it up, it's something that's that's never left me and that I've never really moved away from for all of these years, even if it's and – I, and I'm not perfect with it. There might be one week where I do it once a week, and there might be another week where I do it three times a week, but – I am consistent around the two two times a week mark, and that consistency pays off. Um, and I do think that um, it makes you a stronger a stronger runner as a trail athlete, huffing and puffing up those big trails, like having strong legs, and then work. I do a lot of balance work, um, working on balance and agility as you're moving back and forth and up and down on those trails. It, it, it all pays off. So. I do feel that being a strength athlete all, you know, rolls back into rolls back into making me a better runner. But I, I'm really creative. I mean, I will, I'll be stirring the pasta, making dinner while one kid is 
over on the table doing their homework and I might get my lunges in and I'm okay with that. That might bother other people and some people need to compartmentalize, but the way that my life is, it's all inclusive and it's all encompassing. And that doesn't mean that my kiddo who's doing math isn't going to get the attention for five minutes. I'll focus and get done what needs to be done. But while they're, they're doing their own thing, I might be on the floor getting my 50 pushups in <laughs> um, while I'm waiting to pull the muffins out of the oven. I mean, that's just, that's the life that, that we live in. It's not for everybody, but we just all support each other and we make it work. And my kids aren't, I mean, so I, I don't do it in like front of their friends and stuff. They're like, mom, but they also like, they'll join me now. I'm like, who wants to do pushups with me? And it doesn't always work. And sometimes they roll their eyes and laugh at me, but um, we're just a healthy, we, I try really hard for it to just be a healthy, natural part of our life. Um, and um I do get up very early in the morning because you said it's not like there is this two hour block. I can't just leave my kids. So I do a lot of very early mornings. I get a, uh, the bulk of my training done while my kids are asleep or I do it with my youngest Nash while they're at school in between uh, on days where I don't have work or clients, um, you know, athletes to update. So I, um, yeah, I'm kind of all over the place right now, but hopefully that kind of answers your question. <laughs> well, let's talk about the the kind of like the intermittent lifting, right? Like these like an exercise here and exercise there. As someone who's done this in the past and has spent uh, almost two decades, um, you know, working as a personal trainer and, and working with athletes, um, is there is there a negative to not having it as like part of like this block of training versus like, hey, no, I'm just spreading it out, making it fit in. Um, you know, I think I think I can imagine some people looking, like, being presented with that idea, being like, "Yeah, but to, you know, it's not. If I do like a set here and a set there, that's not like that one minute rest." And and seeing the lack of cohesion as a negative of like, "All right, is this even is this even worth it?" Yeah, absolutely, and that's fair and that's true. Um, there definitely you're going to get more benefit, and you you don't want to just be completely and maybe. I should clarify, you don't want to be completely haphazard with your strength training because it all does need to serve a purpose and have a reason behind it. Whether you're going um, for, you know, hard and heavy and short, heavy reps, or I'm doing uh, muscular endurance and I'm doing light and long, like everything has a, a specific reason and a purpose. And I don't write strength training like that in for my athletes. I think for myself, having done this for so long and having a bit of expertise in it, I know what I need to get done. And I am always constantly keeping a tally in my mind. And for instance, like the push-ups, that might not necessarily be on my training plan, but I, I love to do push-ups for the aesthetic. I love to do push-ups for the core strength. And so I know that um, I'm becoming a stronger athlete by popping down and getting my 50 push-ups in a day. Um, and during my short strength training session after my run, that might have been where I was more specific. And I got in the specific um, sets that I need that I have written down, like, you know, my actual workout with my kettlebell swings and my one-legged squats that are helping me as a runner. And so, yeah, definitely being completely haphazard, while it will be helpful and beneficial somewhat, you're definitely going to get a lot more by being focused and specific and intentional with your weightlifting. Got it. So like, that's the ideal, but it's better to, if you, if you can like throw in a couple exercises here and there, that's better than I guess not doing them at all. Totally. Yeah. And, and yeah. So if I'm doing them at, in the, in the kitchen during dinner time, I'm likely doing probably three exercises that I had paired together that were part of my workout anyways, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
So as you were building, so again, you're, you're, you've done so many different kinds of races in the past. You're building up to your, your century run. Um, as part of that progression, especially coming off of pregnancy, how did speed work or quality sessions play a part in your training? And where, where did, how did you focus those efforts in terms of making sure that you're preparing for that race as opposed to how they may have differed for, say, like you brought up before, like a 10K? Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very different for um, a hundred mile ultra event. Yeah, the the training and the the, the specific speed work sessions are going to look a lot different. So for me, for building up for this particular one hundred, I had a few things going on. Um, one, um, as I was recovering postpartum, I take my, this is where knowing myself personally as an athlete came in handy. Um, I take a lot longer postpartum to be able to handle speed a lot longer than I do um, endurance and miles. I can handle, I think it's my growth of experience, been doing this for so many years, where my body can handle the longer training runs a lot quicker than it could maybe do a quality tempo run or track work or a fart, um, you know, I was going to say a fart, like, but maybe fart, like, actually is the one that I actually kept in my training because that's a little kind you of my body. You should have corrected yourself. You should have <laughs> left it at fart and just kind of kept moving fart. on. <laughs> Whoever is nodding off is like, okay, what's, what's Randy talking about farting in the middle of our podcast? Yes, people, that's my life. Um, but so I would say most of my runs, um, 80 to 90% of them were all just long, low heart rate training because that's what I was going to ask myself to do on race day. I was going to ask myself to run a hundred miles without ever getting into my heart, never getting like anaerobic and never really uh, pushing, I, you know, trying to stay in like the 130s for a for hundred miles, except maybe on like some steep climbs where you're doing some heavy hiking and you just can't help yourself when you're going up and you're at elevation, your heart rate's going to go up. But for the most part, I knew that on race day, I was going to be in that um, just slow and steady wins the race type of mode. And I did have some big goals, um, for my hundred mile race. Um, I know it was a lot to ask, but I wanted to do my first hundred miler in some 24 hours. And I wanted, I was hoping I, you never know who shows up on race day, but I really wanted to podium and, and go for that top three female spot. So I did as much as I couldn't do a lot of the speed work that maybe I could start if I started a training block now being a, over a year postpartum, my main focus was to make my base huge by doing tons and tons of so high volume, low intensity as I was returning to my fitness and I was able to look at where I was and then where I wanted to be. I felt that was my best use of time in regards to doing speed work and regards to doing some of the intensity. Um, I focused on doing hill repeats so that I would be strong up the hills once I was ready and my base was really, really big. So really only in like the final 10 weeks did I start implementing some harder, more intense workouts. And um, that would be um, either um, I started doing midweek, either fart licks or hill workouts. I didn't do any shorter track work or even mile repeats because I did not feel that that served the um, need of the particular race that I was trying to be prepared for. Um, I also would include and in some of my long weekend runs actually out on Antelope Island, my 18, 20, 22 milers, those longer runs, I, I would do some um, kind of like 50K race pace miles, almost like temp trail tempo, just to, you know, get my fitness where I wanted it to be so that I could maintain um, 
maintain the pace that I was hoping to um, come race day. And then I would say the other thing that this, you didn't really ask this in particular, but the quote harder part of my training was running back to back long runs on tired legs. So that would replace um, the, the quote hard miles in a midday week. If I was doing like a marathon training program or 10 K 5 K type quicker, um, quicker, shorter races. Um, so those back to back, tired, long runs, um, those take a lot out of you. So I, I also didn't feel that physically I was prepared to do both that and um, harder midday work. I thought that might, maybe that could injure me or maybe put me in a place where I wasn't um, able to complete um, the volume of training I was trying to do. Well, you led me right to where I was hoping to go <laughs> with, the, with the back-to-back long days. So how did those evolve during uh, your active training period? So once once you were like, okay, I'm I'm training now. Um, I'm kind of past the postpartum prep base mode, right? You're like in full active training. How did those double days, not double days, because that wasn't more than one day, those double headers, how did those evolve over time? Not only in terms of length and duration, but also in terms of elevation. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I probably back in the race was in March. So back in November, that's kind of when um, it went from, okay, my base is long. My base is, my base is big and thick. I'm ready to push things up and like start training specifically for this race. So, um, so usually um, my back-to-back long runs would be like a Friday, Saturday, the Saturday being typically the longer run, or then I would switch it. So I would switch it based upon two different things. One, the training that I needed to my kid's schedule. So if we had a 9 a.m. soccer game on a Saturday, that meant Friday while my kids were at school, there would be the longer run. And then Saturday, it might be the back-to-back hard run that I need to be home by 8 in the morning. So, you know, I got, I've got enough time for 13 miles. So 13 miles is what I'm writing into my training plan. (laughs) And so a combination of that. So usually what I suggest when you're doing the back-to-back long runs is, you know, you just kind of progress it just like you would a typical long run where you're adding a couple miles a week onto each run. And then I, so I, you know, I probably started with pretty low, you know, when it's like eight miles on Saturday and 14 miles on, and occasionally I would do them on Sunday as well. Um, um, so, and then 14 miles on a Sunday, if that makes sense. So it just built up from there. Um, I, uh, I written into my training plan, I had glorious, glorious goals of doing these extremely long back-to-back long runs, none of which not a single one happened before my hundred miler, <laughs> my big, bulky, juicy, delicious back-to-back long runs that were going to prepare me for this amazing race. Not one of, not one match. And that was a combination of, I did, um, have a little bit, I had a psoas issue where I missed, actually missed my two weeks of peak training leading up to this hundred miler. Cause, and it wasn't bad, but it was just enough to scare me because I wanted to be healthy on race day. So, so my top um, long run volume um, was like a 16 miler and a 22 miler back to back. That's about as fancy as it got. And I, um, I originally had written a 50 K into my um, training plan and the the two weeks where I was building up to like uh, to those distances I I was injured oh I I take that back I did do my midnight marathon on the treadmill so that was my longest run and I had done I think I had done 14 the day before so I got in a 14 and a 26.2 and I, I always I, I had to jump in. I have to jump in with the 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 midnight midnight marathon. All of those things, every single one of those words, 
gives me anxiety. The midnight part, the treadmill part, and the marathon part. So with all of that, was that a bigger test mentally or physically? Oh, that was all, all for the mental, all for the mental. And, and, and I don't want anyone who's maybe considering a hundred mile or to think they got to do a midnight marathon. They absolutely do not have to do a midnight marathon, but I hadn't done an overnight late night race course in a really long time. And so I wanted the mental confidence to know that when I was tired and that when my legs were tired and that when I was exhausted, I could just keep on running. So I think I started around midnight and I just, set my Garmin heart rate onto my main screen and was like, I'm just going to, if I go above 140, then I have to either take a walk break or slow down. And because again, practicing just that low heart rate, just tick off the miles again and again and again and again. And for me, that was about at like an 850 pace. I feel I could just run that literally forever kind of in that, in that zone. So I just, I set up a whole aid station down in my basement and, um, I don't normally do candy when I was training, but I just needed a reward for myself because I did not want to start. So I filled my entire cup with gummy bears and I let myself have a gummy bear after every mile. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and it was hard. I'm not going to lie. I I was like screaming out loud a few times. I had two of my kids' bedrooms are in our basement and I had everybody sleep upstairs up, up on the top level of the house. And, um, and I just actually, my husband was out of town on business too, I think. So I, <laughs> wow. so I was tired. This, is, so was this is getting harder with every <laughs> sense. <laughs> but it was perfect because I was tired emotionally and mentally. I was tired physically because I had put in a hard week of training. That was, it was exactly what I needed more than anything mentally to know that in the weird out, cause I knew I'd be running at two and three in the morning. So I, I knew that no matter with all of these, um, um, negatives, I want to see negatives, but with all these stimulus being thrown at me, tired, exhausted, middle of the night, I knew that I could just keep running. I knew that I could just keep running. And that's what I, and that's what I wanted to do. And I swear that was such a turning point for me. This was about three weeks from race day. That was such a turning point for me because all of a sudden I was like, I'm ready. I'm like, I just ran a marathon in under four hours in the middle of the night, exhausted. Heck yeah, I can run exhausted in the middle of the night because I had never, that was uncharted territory for me. And so I, that's, I, maybe I had run in the middle of the night for different races before for Ragnar's, for a late night ultra, for like the 24 hour obstacle, obstacle course racing I had done, but it had been one, a very long time since I had done that Two, this is different. This is steady running. This wasn't part of a bigger race or part of anything else. And I just mentally, when I sat down and I was going over my training, I was like, yep, I'm going to do that. I need that. You You know that you're preparing for an ultra when you utter the sentence, I was mentally and emotionally exhausted, which was absolutely perfect. Like that was in what other situation does that sentence get uttered by anybody? Um, but it's, it's a great, it's a great point though, because like here you are, you so many people who are preparing for these things. You can understandably come up with the question of like, wait, so my longest run is 30 miles and I'm going to run a hundred. Like that doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't, it doesn't compute to other mileage, right? You never be like, okay, your half marathon's coming up and you're ready because you ran, your long run was four miles. So you're ready. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the ratios don't work, but this is exactly the kind of thing that can not only set someone up in terms of being actually prepared, but also having the confidence to execute on race day. Yeah, precisely. And, um, 
because, I mean, you know, we all see those different quotes that running is 90% mental, um, especially when you're entering into uncharted territory, because you can't simulate it, Matt. Like you said, you cannot simulate for an ultra run uh, for a 100-mile race. Like, you can't practice running 100 miles to see what's going to go wrong, right? Like, you just can't do it. So you have to take little bits and pieces of that race in situations that you could put yourself in. Try to simulate that and see how you do. Um, more than anything, it's that, it again, going back to that mental confidence. But you want the physical confidence, too. Like, my brain and my body knew it could run in the middle of the night. And I remember I drawed upon that. I struggled from about 2 to 4 a.m. I struggled um, during um, during my 100-mile race. And um, I was like, you know what? I just did this a few weeks ago. I ran. I kept running on tired legs. Like, you're fine. Like, your brain was, my brain was just like, Randy, please lay down on the trail and take a nap. I mean, it literally was screaming at me, lay down in the dirt right now, take a nap, curl up in the fetal position, and just have a little snooze. Um, and, well, let you know, me ask you, you though, like, but, but with so many, I, I need to jump in, though, because so many, we hear this all the time, ultra runners do do that. So it's not as if that sort of idea is, you know, foreign territory for even elite level trail runners so so when when you're in a race and those sorts of ideas come up and your body is craving it how do you decide in that moment where like maybe even your mental faculties aren't even in like the best decision making mode to say like okay no this is a good idea versus like you know what no that's not going to help me and i will regret this later yeah that's a great decision um so for the hundred mile or great question sorry um for the hundred mile distance um, definitely there's a lot less napping. That's more on like the, especially for like elite runners, that's more on like the 200s, 250s. I would say napping does not happen a, lo- a lot in like maybe people who who compete in the front half of the race. Um, if you're really not concerned about your finish time and you know your body needs it and you just are, and it's not adjust, there's no asterisk there. Like you finish a hundred miler in 15 hours, you finish it in 39 hours, you're a freaking rock star. Like, so I want to make that very, very clear but you have to look at what your goals are. At that time, I was in second place overall female. I didn't want to lose that lead. So what are your goals? And then you have to assess how your body's doing and assess, is this just, is this something I think I can work through so that I can, so that I can hang on? I I slowed down a ton in the middle of the night and that goal to stay sub 24 hours and that goal to hang on to my placement, I knew it was starting to slip away. And then if I didn't pick it up and somehow work through it, then, um, I would have to move past my, my A goal and just, and say, you know what, that's fine. It's my first hundred mile. I'm going to finish it. But I, I didn't feel that, that I was there yet. So you have to assess where you are. I wasn't, I wasn't throwing up. I didn't have, I wasn't having digestive issues. There was nothing terrible going on other than the fact that I had really bad blisters. So you have to assess your health, assess your wellness, assess your goal, and then make that decision. So what's the self-talk in those moments where you have these goals heading into the race, you're holding on to them firm, but then as you're fatiguing, as you're getting uncomfortable, again, like you, you threw out some great caveats. Like if you're having these other issues, like you deal with those first. Um, but you're, you have these goals and all of a sudden you're, you're holding them a little bit lighter and a little bit lighter and a little bit lighter because of just the uncomfortable nature of the event. What's the self-talk around trying to maintain that? Okay, no, I want to break 24 hours. No, I want to podium because you were in that spot where you were right on the edge of both of those things. And what's the self-talk around trying to maintain those previously held tightly gripped goals that are all of a sudden start to slip through your fingers? 
Yeah, that's a that is you come to that precipice because you're right. I was just barely still hanging on to those goals, and it was so kind of like my little come to Jesus moment. Like, are you going to let go of them, or are you going to like stay in the game and suffer harder and suffer longer and get what you came to do? Um, and so for me, um, the the positive self talk has always come naturally to me. So I almost feel like I don't know that I'm even the best person to ask because I. I do have like a list of, I don't like write them out, but over the years I have a couple of these little chains of positive affirmations that just rotate through my brain when, when things get tough. And so um, I guess I just go back to those and, and, you know, I have this theory of why don't you just try for one more mile and see how it goes. I'll do that even with marathon and quicker racing, like just try it for one more mile. And then if you can't do it, you can stop. Like, give yourself permission. A lot of people say the opposite, you know, like, never give yourself permission to quit. Never give yourself. But for me, like, coming to terms with the reality of you don't you don't have to do this. You're choosing to do this. You get to do this. So why don't you try one more mile? Why don't you try for 10 more minutes? Why don't you try until this song is over and see what happens? And usually, if I break it up and I compartmentalize it and I don't think oh my gosh, I have to do this for seven more miles. I have 18 miles to go. Because then all of a sudden it's this downward spiral. Like, how could I do this for 18 more miles? I feel like death. As opposed to, why don't you try this for one more mile and see how it goes? Why don't you try this for one more mile and see how it goes? And usually, if you just take little bite-sized chunks of your goal, all of a sudden your brain is less overwhelmed. Your body, you're not asking your body to run 18 miles. You're asking your body just to run one. Right, right. Yes, that's a great point, because there is a certain amount of cognitive dissonance with the whole idea of like saying, like, I can't quit. Like, well, no, you obviously can. <laughs> right. Like, let's let's be real here. Like, that's not that statement is factually incorrect. And I we all know the that. course anytime and just snooze on the dirt anytime at any given moment, you know. Right, right. Exactly. So like trying to play this mental game is like you can't win that game. Like you, you, you can't fool yourself into believing that or some sort of corollary um, or comparable statement. Whereas the whole idea of like negotiating with yourself makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's some negotiation, and then there's also troubleshooting, which helps me a ton. Randy, why do you feel terrible? Is there anything that you could change in your nutrition and your hydration? Is there anything that you could do to help? And uh, quite frankly, the answer is usually yes. Is it going to make you feel better? No, but I'm like, oh, I haven't had my Redmond Real Salt. This I'm not sponsored by them, but I it's a miracle worker, and I stick it on my tongue and I lick it, and all of a sudden, like five minutes later, like I feel better. So, so I'm going. What have I forgotten to do? Have I had? Have I not had calories in 20, 30 minutes? Have I not taken? Do I need some caffeine? Do I need to ask my pacer to turn on? You know, like. Let's start chatting instead of being quiet. So usually if you troubleshoot in combination with that negotiation, you're going to be able to move through the, the dark moment. No, absolutely. So you you did break 24, got 31 minutes below that threshold. You did podium. You came in third. You've done amazing things. Before. You've done these. Again, I keep alluding to them. Go listen to the previous episode. Hear all the crazy things Randy Orman has done in her life, including Ironman triathlons. So you've done all this stuff. What did you learn about your training and yourself or whatever? What were some of your takeaways from this race? Because this was a new endeavor for even for you. Yeah, lots of great takeaways. Um, so the first one is 
it's really, really, really hard to run 100 miles. <laughs> I could have told you that before you even wrote, ran. Who needed to do this thing? I could have told you that ahead of time. I know. And I knew it was going to be really hard. And I paced a ton of them. And I've watched my husband cross the finish line and athletes of mine and dear friends. But doing it myself, I just, I crossed the finish line and my husband hugged me and I just started sobbing. And all I could say over and over again was, that was so hard. <laughs> that was the only thing I could say. That was so hard. And it was, but just actually, so one, um, I gleaned that um, just like, oh my goodness, I'm like trying not to swear here, you know, like it was just freaking hard. And, um, but I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Um, and I can't wait to do another one, which brought me to my next thing. I would say I only did about 75% of what I had written down to do to tr to train because I had a nursing baby and it, we just, it, in real life. And so in my brain, I'm doing this fancy math equation going, ooh, how could I do if I actually did the training I was supposed to do? How could I actually do if I got a coach again right now? I'm not coached just with the craziness of my life. I just feel that I that I can't do that <laughs> to a coach. Yes, that will happen again probably um, once my baby's just a little bit older and I have a little, and I feel I have a little bit more control over, over my schedule and my time. So in my brain, I'm going, I got to do this again. I can't wait till I can put in. I, I think I peaked at 60 miles for this a week. That's it, Matt. Like I, so I'm going, Oh my goodness. If I, if I love this and I did this, what could I do next time? Um, with, like a really, if I could string together some really solid training, not that I wasn't proud of my training plan. I did the very, it's like, do the best you can with the time you got. Like I, I just wanted to become a hundred mile athlete and taste that experience for myself. And I, so I could not be happier with it. There was no regret, no negatives, no, what I could have, should have done. I could have won state coach, not like that, but just knowing that I did love it and that I feel like I would really like to explore in the future where I could go with a hundred miler um, a little. I always tell it's been this way for me. So I'm 15 months out from pregnancy. It takes my body. And I, I hope that this maybe gives women some perspective and takes off the pressure. It takes my body 18 months to really start to feel like, oh, well, there I am. There's that fast turnover. There's those speedy legs. And, uh, and a lot of women aren't like that. You see some elite runners out there able to kill it and OTQ six months after they have a baby. There's a reason why I haven't tried anything fast yet. I don't believe it's good for my body. So I'm really excited to take, to take a season off from ultra running and try some fast stuff soon. But I just frankly am not there yet. And I, I, can, I can feel that starting to happen. So once I'm fully recovered, I look forward to being able to do that again in my future. But um, now I don't even remember what the question was. I just guessed the lessons learned. Um, so, um, yeah, so I learned uh, how difficult it was. I learned um, a lot about myself. And I know I've learned this lesson before, but just the ability that you can keep going when you think you can't. And this applies to a 5K. This isn't ultra training. Like these are life lessons here. When things get rough and things are hard and your body's screaming at you that you can't go any further or that you can't go any faster, yes, you can. You can. It's not an easy thing to do. And sometimes you won't be able to, but I think we would all surprise ourselves immensely if we could push past that and realize that even in like our lowest moments, a lot of the times we can, we can get through it and do some of the best work that we um, will ever do.
I love it. So much good stuff here. We have to end in a place that we weren't able to talk about in the last time we had a show because you always have you always have cool things happening that we can't talk about on the show, but we can talk about them at a later date. Now is a later date. Last time we talked, you're like, we get off the phone, you're like, hey, I'm doing this cool thing. I couldn't bring it up on the show. And that was you were on like the obstacle course show with Tim Tebow as the host. We went to LeBron James, it was actually his production company that put it on. Yeah, that show is no longer in existence, but that was really cool. <laughs> so yes. what can we just touch back on that? Like, what, what was yeah. that experience like? Because that was like, hey, man, I'm going to be on TV. Like, check this out. Yeah, Million Dollar Mile. Wild. It was such a fun experience. Um, This was um basically two years ago. I'm probably not doing the math right. You can fact check me there. But um, so this kind of experience just came out of the middle of nowhere. And I had an opportunity to apply and to work with CBS. And shockingly, I just kept getting like kind of pushed to the next round of applying. They flew all the athletes down to LA for this big combine where we all competed together. And yeah, I had the opportunity to get on this really cool show called A Million Dollar Mile. And I was on like the premiere episode on primetime TV and it was a wild ride. And now Matt, I hadn't done obstacle course racing. And at one time I would say I was formidable and really good, but obstacle course racing does not come naturally to me. Like the monkey bars and all of those things, I'm not like, coordinated in the right way to do any of that naturally so I have to like learn the technique learn the skill and practice and this show turnover was super super quick and I was actually um I think that's the fastest I've ever been and I really hope I can get back to that level again someday I was getting ready to run the New York marathon I had just PR'd a half marathon um and I had to all of a sudden switch modes from like fast track running and all of this in, in marathon training to all of a sudden they're like, okay, you need to be able to swim. You need to be able to rock climb. You need to be able to do all this. And it's all stuff I've done in the past and been strong at, but it was like, okay, now in three months, I want you ready to do everything, but still run fast. Okay. So just be ready for anything. <laughs> right. And we're going to, and you're going to be on TV. So, you know, yeah, and no pressure. Be on TV, so no pressure there. Um, so it ended up being a really neat experience. I was able to meet some really incredible athletes that I'm still friends with, like, um, with really, really neat stories, some, some Olympic um, athletes and just some really, really neat human beings who had been through a lot. And I think that CBS did a good job trying to pull from people who had really neat life stories where they were able to um, overcome some really, um, really incredible things. Um, so, so on the show, we were all, I think my biggest um, takeaway from the show actually were the relationships that were created with the other athletes and um you know we were all um in LA together like kind of locked up in a hotel while we were filming it was all hush hush so it was a wild thing to be a part of and I also got to see um this whole new side of of filming that I knew nothing about what like reality tv and post and pre-production and doing all this work so it was really uh it was a completely new experience for me and um I am yeah it'll always just be like this forever little cool adventure that I got to go on I I was I missed New York Marathon because of it and I thought I can always run New York Marathon I cannot always go and do this cool experience and push myself in a completely uh, new and challenging way and your four kids at the time obviously you were five now but the time your your four kids we're old enough to like know what was going on. What was it like for you to like be able to be like, all right, these activities isn't just something I do when you're asleep or harangue you about on the weekends. Like now, like I'm doing something like pretty, pretty cool, right? Like yeah. all of a sudden you're on TV. They're like, oh, 
my wild and wacky mom who wakes up at three <laughs> thirty in the morning to run like is now doing this thing that I can really recognize. What was that like? Oh, it was so rad. You know what? And I'm so glad you brought that up. That might be the very best part of it. It was so cool for my kids and my, so I actually filmed my episode at like three 30 in the morning. And because we lived in San Diego, they, uh, my ki- my family, my two oldest um, were able to come with my husband and watch the filming all night. And they had been there. So they had been there watching the filming all night. So my two boys got to talk to Tim Tebow, nicest guy in real life. Super neat, really connected with my kids. So no, my kids think I am a rock star. Like it still comes up all the time. They're like, mom, I Googled you. I'm like, 50 things came up. You're so cool. They'll be like, mom, on a scale of um, like five being the top celebrity and one being a normal person, where do you think you fall? And I'm like, I don't know, like a one point, I'm like a 1.5. They're like, oh no, you're like a four. What a funny question. Yeah, just like really funny stuff like that. And so no, they've had a, they've had a blast with it and they, they think it, it was really neat. Um, they they love that they got to go. And, and then they got to see themselves. So I got invited to go to the premiere in L.A. And we got this little red carpet. We got this whole cool experience. And all the kids got to go. And they got to see mom on the big screen. And they, But what was my very favorite part of probably, and I've said that now three times, but I haven't relived this experience in a while. So I'm just going through it with you. So bear with me here. But when my kids saw themselves on the premiere night on a big screen TV on live television, me watching them, hang with me here, watch themselves on TV was the coolest thing, you know, just to see their whole face light up and to see like, oh, there I am, like screaming and cheering. And oh, it was just a wild, fun, cool thing. I mean, and no, we all do not need to have that experience. And it's not like that was something we were aspiring to. It's something that came upon us. And so for us to experience and enjoy that as a family was really fun. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> so many of us toil um, in kind of like a, you know, in, in our training in some sort of like siloed mode of hobby, of like hobbyism, that like our kids never see, right? Like occasionally they'll go to a race, but like they're not really connecting with what we're doing. Whereas like that's such like a unique moment where it's like, I know exactly what's going on. I don't even need to understand athletics, understand this is cool. It's on TV. I know the host. I know this. I know this. And it, it is so interesting. That's for yeah, sure. And there's mom and she's doing it. And so, yeah, that was um very cool. Randy, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this. It's always such a pleasure and a blast talking to you. Yes. I, I love chatting with you. I'm, I'm always a little helter skelter and all over the place. And that might be a little, you know, window into our life, but it's beautiful and it's fun and um, it's messy and I love it. Randy, thank you so much again for coming on the show. I should have Randy on more. She's absolutely phenomenal. I never, never tire of hearing about all the crazy things and fun things that she's doing. And just the, as I said in the intro, the tips that she's able to provide are absolutely golden. They really, really are. I hope you had a pen and pencil with you, a pen and pencil, a pen and a pad with you to take some notes because she was just chock full of nuggets for this one. That's for sure. I'll make sure that we post the five takeaways over on Instagram. That's what we're doing. So basically what we do here is if you don't already know this, if you don't follow the rambling runner on Instagram, it's rambling underscore runner. What we do is post like the five takeaways. It doesn't have to be five, but you know, the five takeaways from each show uh, over on that site. And it's uh it's valuable. I think a lot of people get a lot out of it because so many people uh, on these shows provide so many different insights. And I think that's one of those things where I know it helps me. So hopefully 
it helps you as well. Speaking of helping you, you got big goals in the short term, in the long term, any term. I want to help you get there. And I'd love to be your running coach as you try to bring those goals a little closer to you. Um, you know, for me, the key thing is taking that long-term approach. And I've loved working with coaches. I love being a coach to help people. Sure, the short-term thing is great. What can we do this summer? What can we do this fall? But even more exciting is what can we do three years from now? What are the little steps that we can take every day so that three years from now you're doing something that you never even thought was possible? And that is just so fun and exciting. So head over to mccurdytrained.com today. I'd love to be your coach. It's easy. Just fill out a questionnaire. You put my name at the bottom of it, and then hopefully I can coach you up sooner rather than later. So I hope you have a great day and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.